Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is It's, it's Not Pretty. It's Not Pretty. Um, you ever done something, like accomplished something or whatever, and people are like, how was it? And you're like, well, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. You're kind of like saying, like, we got through it. We got it done. It's okay. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, there was some, there was some hiccups along the way. It was tough. It wasn't a straight line, right? Um, and it's sort of a phrase that we, that we bounce around, and we sort of all intuitively know what it means. Um, I have this, this really sort of fuzzy memory from when I was a kid, uh, spending some time with my grandpa and my mom's dad, and it was a time where I went to stay with him for like a couple weeks stint, and it was just me and him, and one day, uh, he was sorting through this box of old photos, and he was pointing them out, and he was sort of telling me stories about them, and uh, he pulled out this one photo, it was a black and white photo of this like beautiful, uh, slender woman, and she was in a wedding dress, and, uh, and, and I, again, I'm looking at all these photos, and I, they don't look like anybody I know, and so I'm just like, who are these people? And he's like, this is your grandmother, and I was like, what? Because this is not what she looked like at the time, just FYI. She looked very different at the time than she did in this, in this picture. And he looked at me and he was like, he was looking at me and he was looking at the photo and he, was, he got kind of like dreamy and sentimental, which was very like unique for my grandpa. He didn't really do that much. And he was like, when I met your grandmother, she was the prettiest girl that I had ever seen. And I just couldn't comprehend that this could be so, right? You know, when you're a kid and you, you don't really quite understand how people change and how people evolve and that this one person somehow turned into this other person, and although I love my grandma very much, she was a very, uh, like, uh, she was a plump woman, okay? Uh, her signature outfit was a, was a, a very blousey muumuu that she wore, uh, oftentimes for multiple days in a row without washing it. Like, she always had curlers in her hair for no reason. Uh, maybe there was a reason, but she never took them out. So I don't know if it, th- that was the look or if she was building towards something that she never got to, you know? Um, and she had these giant glasses, and she just, she just, she was like wrinkly. She just looked very different, and I loved her, and she was amazing. She was probably my favorite person in the world, but I just couldn't comprehend that, that this woman that I knew was this woman in the photo, and so he, there was another photo of the two of them from the year, that, the year before at Christmas, and it was like above uh, their faux fireplace, and I, I remember looking at the, the black and white photo, and then looking at that photo, and looking back at the black and white photo, and just being like, I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening here. I don't get what is going on. And I, I remember asking my grandpa, I'm like, do you, uh, this is, you can only get away with this if you're a kid, by the way. I go, do you still think she's pretty? And he had this really interesting answer. He goes, he goes, I think now she is something more than pretty. To me, she's beautiful. And I was confused because I thought those were the same thing. And so I'm like, what is going on right here? And so I asked him, was she beautiful when you first met her? And he said, I'm not sure. I didn't know her well enough at the time to know. And 
even like now that I'm older, this was, would have been like over 30 years ago we had this conversation and it always sort of stuck with me. It was the first time that I'd ever seen anyone sort of differentiate between these two concepts. And really what he was getting at, what he was trying to get at with me is that there is a big difference between pretty and beauty. And I want to just sort of separate these ideas for you in case you've never thought about it this way before, never had the language for it. Pretty is superficial, okay? It sits on the surface. It's about symmetry and attraction and frail perfection. When you see something that's pretty, it's like you almost don't want to bother it or touch it. You know what I mean? You're just like, wow, it's perfect, right? Um, you've seen, like, I've, I've, I've been served a pretty dessert before, and I'm like, I feel like it would be wrong to eat it. You know what I mean? Because it's just so pretty. Beauty is something different, though. Beauty is substantive, right? Uh, there's a depth to it. Um, it's about grit and a sort of soul connection. It's about durable redemption. It's a different idea altogether. And, you know, maybe you're looking at this and, and trying to figure out, like, which category different things fall in for you. And I would say that, you know, beauty is one of these things that is really hard to define. But you, you also sort of know it when you see it. Right? When you, when you see, like, I remember when I, seeing my kids when they were born and they took their first breath and then I said something, and they recognized my voice, and there was something in me that was like, this is beautiful. Like, I knew that it was happening in front of me. When you see someone who doesn't have to forgive someone else, forgive them, and you know it's painful for them, and there's something in you that's like, wow, that's really beautiful. When you see, like, two old people that are in love, and they're holding hands, and they can barely walk, but they kind of, like, are still flirting, you know what I mean, with each other, and there's something about it that you're just like, wow, that is so beautiful. I remember I had a, a two professors in college who, uh, one was a, a psychology professor, the other was a theology professor. They had met at our Bible school years before they got married. They were well in their 70s at the time that they were my teacher. And I remember the first day of class during orientation, she said, um, my husband uh, who I love very much, his, his uh, you know, classroom is across the hall. And so every once in a while, if it looks like I get, to get distracted, it's because I'm looking at the cute boy next door. And she's like, also, I, we have an open door policy. Um, my husband and I do share an office. So I would just encourage you to knock because we are old, but we're not dead. <laughs> and you don't want to see something you can't unsee. And this is my first week at Bible school. And I was like, I think I'm going to like this Bible college. <laughs> I like these people. And there's something about the way she talked about him that was, was beautiful, right? Uh, we, we understood it instinctively. Um, a moment of silent presence in, in, in tragedy or chaos feels beautiful to us. Watching someone sacrifice on behalf of a stranger, there's something beautiful about these moments. And all this means that it's possible for something to be beautiful but not pretty. It's also possible for something to be pretty and not beautiful, my mom is, is from the Midwest, the Bible Belt, and so she has all these like little words and sayings that she says that um, they say in the Midwest that uh, they don't say anywhere else, and they're still a part of me because I'm from there. And my mom would say this all the time. She would like sort of size different people up, which is like a very endearing, judgy Midwestern thing. And she had this little phrase that she would say where she would look at someone and she would be like, that girl's pretty on the surface but you can tell she's ugly underneath. And I remember even when I was a kid, 
She didn't have to say what she meant by it. I intuitively knew what she was talking about because you've had this sense about people before, right? Too, that like there's something pretty about them, but there's an absence of beauty beneath that pretty. And that was something that really always imprinted itself on me. In fact, so much so that my wife and I, uh, when we were about to have our first child, we named our daughter Tegan, which is a Gaelic name, and it, and it actually means a woman who is beautiful on the inside and out. Because there's this deep sense that like, we want to raise um, someone who is not just pretty, but is truly beautiful, and that these two things are different. On the other hand, uh, 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 sort of opposite of like, what my mom would notice about people Good luck trying to convince any little kid that their supportive, loving, doting mother is not beautiful, no matter what she looks like, right? Even at the moment when they say that, you look over and she's in like two-day-old sweatpants and her hair's like matted and weird and she's got cereal stains and you are not going to argue that kid out of the impression that they have of their mother and you also understand what it is they're talking about, even though the visual might not match some of your assumptions. You see, pretty is about the surface of things, but beauty is about the substance of things. And I would tell you that like, not everything is pretty. Not everything can be pretty, but everything does have the potential to be beautiful. And I know there may be part of you that wants to sort of push back against that because you're like, okay, not everything. Because you're thinking about what everything might include, right? Which would be everything, right? You're like, cancer is beautiful? That doesn't sound right. Kids being bullied? Bankruptcy? Like, what, are you, what are you talking about? And I want to just sort of show you something, like where this idea grows from. Um, it's, I want to turn to a passage uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1. I want to just read a passage to you and make some observations together. This is what it says. This is um, a piece of wisdom literature, and verse 1 says this. There is a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up, a time to cry, and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak, a time to, uh, I think I skipped some here, because there's so many times, you know what I mean? Time to search, a time to quit, a time to keep, a time to throw away. Um, a time to be quiet, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And then he says this, which is really interesting. I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. And it's the author's sort of way of saying throughout this, this bit of poetry that life is a roller coaster full of really extreme experiences. And some of these experiences we bask in and others we would rather avoid altogether. And what feels weighty or burdensome about us, because God you know, has the ability to do anything, create whatever he wants to, and this is the way he set up life on earth to work, what feels weighty is we don't really get to pick and choose. 
Like we have this awareness that we are not completely in control of everything that happens to us, around us in life. And that feels unsettling sometimes, that life is a package deal in this way. And sometimes, you know, the highs only exist in contrast to the lows, right? And, And at other times we have this realization that maybe they exist even because of them. And then the author says the most surprising, maybe even, you know, probably the most offensive line in the whole poetic passage. He says this, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Now, this is an interesting verse that sounds awesome when you separate it from the ones that come before it, but this isn't how scripture works, right? Everything is a part of a flow. It, It exists inside of a context. And what makes this frustrating is like, there's an implication about what everything entails. It's the stuff in the list ahead of time. And some of it automatically feels like it could be beautiful and others of it is like offensive to think that it could ever be beautiful, right? Think of what is on this list. Death, death can be beautiful. Backbreaking work is beautiful. Killing is beautiful. Something being torn down is beautiful. Crying is beautiful. Grief is beautiful. Your achievements that you've worked so hard on falling apart in front of you is beautiful. Being rejected is beautiful. Finally giving up on a dream is beautiful. Throwing something away is beautiful. Watching something be torn apart is beautiful. Having to keep your mouth shut when you really wanna say something is beautiful. Hate is beautiful, war is beautiful. When you put this sentence in context with everything that comes before it, it feels deeply offensive. And of course, the answer to all of these questions of like, this is beautiful, this is beautiful, is like, no, of course not. Except maybe, right? Because part of your brain is like, well, I don't know, maybe. I mean, not now, but maybe later. Not entirely, but maybe partially. It's kind of confusing. And it's this author's way of, of sort of saying, like, beauty is, is, is surprising. It, it often catches us off guard. We uncover it in unexpected places under uncomfortable circumstances. This is often when beauty comes to light. And even when what just happened wasn't pretty, often something beautiful comes out of it. And this is the paradox that Solomon is wrestling with here. This, is, this, this passage sort of represents his existential crisis, that life is simultaneously burdensome and beautiful. And that's hard to swallow. That like one moment in your life can be filled with so much pain and the next moment be filled with so much joy that we don't always know what to do with that. That some moments mysteriously consist of both things all at once. And it baffles us. How is that possible? You ever wish it wasn't that way? Like there's a lot of things in life where I recognize how it is and then I'm like, I don't like that. I don't want it to be that way. Let's just pretend it's not. And we want to live in denial of reality because reality feels inconvenient or uncomfortable. And I wonder if you have ever been forced to face something that you never wanted and you wondered to yourself or maybe to everyone around you or maybe out loud for the world on Facebook, like, why is this happening to me? And honestly, I don't care what good comes from it. 
I don't want it. And what Solomon is getting at here is whether we like it or not, all of life is this story of the tension between tragedy and beauty. And it has always been that way. In fact, if you rewind uh, scripture all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter one, verse one. Some of you are like, oh, the literal, like beginning, beginning. Yeah, the verse that literally starts with in the beginning. Says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Listen to this, out of what state, okay? The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and said that it was good. I mean, when you listen to those words like, the earth was formless and empty and dark. Deep waters is actually like a, um, a Hebrew metaphor for chaotic, uncertain, frightening, unknown. Like when you put all those words together, it sounds like tragedy to me. But even in this dark state, God was there. And then in this story, right, he speaks and brings beauty to something that two seconds ago felt empty. And this is sort of the idea that this author is getting at, that when touched by God, the chaos of creation has the potential to be transformed into a paradise, which is a powerful idea. And then, of course, just a couple chapters later, when humans take hold of creation, the universe spirals back into chaos, right? Tragedy enters our story. And, and this is sort of like the tension that we live in, right? We know that there's a potential for beauty, and yet we live in a world that is permeated with tragedy. And because of this, we all have this, this embedded desire for our own Genesis 1 moment, where God engages the chaos of our story and transforms it into a thing of beauty. Like even people who don't believe in God, even people who are, wouldn't call themselves Christians, they have this deep desire, this transcendent need to have something bigger than them collide with them and transform all the insanity they've experienced into something that means something, that's going somewhere, that can turn into something more than it is. And this is what God does. This is what he becomes known for. One, one Old Testament prophet talks about God in this way. He says this line, and it was in one of the songs that we sang today. It's from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 61, verse 3. He says, to, to those who mourn, God will give beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. These are all good trades if you're on the receiving end of these things. And of course, the, the ultimate example of all of this, of tragedy being transformed miraculously into beauty, is the cross. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this before, because we see this everywhere, and it means something different to us now than it meant to people Back then, Jesus transformed this symbol into something that it did not exist as before. This is a Roman torture device that, that, that people were put to death on if they wouldn't like swear allegiance to a particular government. And Jesus, who was an innocent man, was publicly murdered on it, and it was really tragic, right? It was ugly, it was unjust, it was unfair. And yet, here's what's interesting. God didn't stop it from happening he didn't step in and prevent the tragedy. 
in the moment, which I think even in our minds is sometimes baffling. But then Jesus resurrects from the dead and he declares that he took the punishment for everyone who's ever lived. And he takes this symbol of tragedy and he transforms it into one of beauty. Like no one in the first century would have saw the cross or a cross as something beautiful. But now we do. Like it would have been absurd if like someone from the first century were to somehow take a time machine to now, they would be like, you have little children wearing gold crosses around their neck? What? That's insane. You people are crazy. Because they wouldn't understand this revolutionary thing that Jesus did. And this is part of what made him a, a true revolutionary, is that Jesus insisted that beauty is revealed, not in reaching perfection, but in repurposing pain. In fact, he offensively suggested that some people can actually see the coming beauty even in the midst of tragedy, that it's a spiritual gift, that you can sit in the midst of something that is horrible and actually begin to see below the surface of it to how God will use it for something that is good. And not everybody has this ability. Most people miss it, in fact. Jesus uh, in scripture, and all scripture, is presented as like the ultimate um, expression, the truest expression of beauty. And yet, listen to how he's described, like his actual, how he presented, right? I, again, this is a prophecy. Isaiah chapter 53, verse two says this. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. Uh, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief, we turns our backs on him and look the other way. Why? Because people looked at Jesus and thought, it's not pretty. It is not pretty. Interesting. And it brings up a really fascinating question for me. If true beauty was right in front of you, would you notice it? Or would you dismiss it because it's not quite perfect? Because I think this is our culture's tendency. In fact, I would even go a, a step deeper into this question. It, is it possible that you're so preoccupied with the disappointing aspects of your story that you're unable to fully recognize or revel in the presence of true beauty? That you are in the middle of what you most need to witness to revitalize and wake up your soul and impassion you at your core, but you can't see it because you're so distracted by the tragedy that you cannot see the emerging beauty. We, we become blinded to beauty because we confuse it with pretty, because they're not the same. Pretty can catch your eye from across a crowded room, uh, but you have to come in close and stay a while and dig into the deeper story to see beauty. Like, let me just draw some further distinctions. Pretty excites us, but beauty inspires us. Pretty is temporary, but beauty is transcendent and often lasts forever. Like, pretty fixates us, but beauty fulfills us. Pretty is based on a fantasy, but beauty is grounded in reality. There's a grittiness to it. Pretty satisfies surface once, but beauty addresses deeper needs. 
Pretty is titillating, but beauty is transforming. It changes people who interact with it. And if you have trouble seeing the beauty beyond the chaos, welcome to the club. It is not easy. And the more chaos that surrounds you, the more difficult it is to see what is beautiful through it. One New Testament author just acknowledging that we all struggle with this, he, he prays this over uh, his church. He says this in Ephesians chapter one. He says, I pray your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can see something of the future God has called you to share. I pray you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. Help us do what? What is it that we need like to our eyes to be opened, like the eyes of our soul or our heart? Like what is it that we need to be illuminated in front of us? Like we need help transforming the brokenness that we never wanted into the beauty that we would never have without it. To see through the pain of the moment just enough to take one small shaky step towards rebuilding from the wreckage. And it is really hard to do. And it doesn't happen all at once. Like, this isn't really something, if you've never done it, that you could just sort of flip a switch. Often, disappointment and devastation and disaster feel like just that. And nothing more. And I wonder if you've ever wondered, like, I mean, how long is it going to take to exchange, like, these ashes for that beauty? (laughs) I mean, like, seriously. Right? And, he, and here's what's so interesting about Scripture. Jesus died and resurrected in three days, which is a very like, short timeline. And maybe you're just like, is that reasonable? Is that how my thing is going to work? Because we might be over the three-day limit. Solomon, the guy who sort of started us down this existential rabbit hole, this is what he says about the timeline. He goes on to say this at the, the last half of Verse 11, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So when can you you stop squinting to see the beauty in your current situation? Here's the real answer from Scripture. Somewhere between three days and all of eternity. In that window, right? Some of you are like, I got the same exact window when I needed somebody to, to come out and uh, attach my cable. You know what I mean? Like, we'll be there. Are you around Thursday? We'll be there sometime, you know, uh, within the next three days or eternity. And you just like waited at your house forever. And uh, sometime it, it just, it happened miraculously. And then your bitterness went away when you could finally watch whatever game you wanted to see. And I, I think this, isn't this what we hate? That God won't just give us a specific timeline so annoying. Like he, 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 he just promises to be with us and then he tells us to live his way regardless of what comes our way. And then he says if we do, that what's happening to and around us will become beautiful in the long run, which is really tough for those of us who think, you know, short term, which a lot of us do. And I think this is why you know, people preoccupy themselves with pretty because they don't have the patience to pursue true beauty. And maybe, I mean, I get, like, we look at this and other people and we're like, ugh, 
Isn't this the most annoying thing? I think this is what is so deeply offensive to us. When someone who's been married a long time has an affair with someone who is much younger. There's something about all of us that's just like, ugh, we get angry. And I, I think there's this intrinsic thing that we feel offended in general when someone is willing to trade something that is beautiful for someone who is pretty. Because there's something in us that's like, wow, you're, I think you're missing it. I think you're missing it. Here's the question I have for you. What if you really believed that God made everything beautiful in its own time, including that thing that happened to you that you never wanted to go through? When you think about the implications of that idea, it is both offensive and amazing. It's both uncomfortable and inspiring. I will tell you that when you decide to look at the world this way, it will take a while for your eyes to adjust. But once they do, you'll start seeing beauty in the ordinary all around you. You ever seen someone who is just like, somehow tapped into the beauty that existed everywhere? Like the most horrible situation or circumstances. And they're not just, they're not trying to like, uh, be, just, just pretend to be positive. Like they're seeing through things to something else. Like they're caught up in the way like a little kid is laughing and they just, it, they, it's so beautiful to them. And you're like, we're at a funeral. I don't know that you're allowed to be happy about that, but they are. Like they get lost in like a meal that's not really that good, but it was cooked by someone who loves them and they, they feel loved by it and there's something beautiful that they see in it where someone is paid a compliment and it doesn't come out well, but they understood the heart behind it and they, they revel in it and they're so grateful for it. They see the beauty below the surface of it. It's like they're, they're turned on by, by, by witnessing an act of compassion. They're enamored with the wrinkles on their, their grandma's face. They see beauty even in the scars scattered across their own storied body. I gotta tell you, like just this personal thing, I don't trust anybody who doesn't have any scars because I think they're a liar. I, I don't think that it's that they don't have any. I just think that they're attempting to hide the ones that they do have because I think we all have scars, right? Some of them are physical and some of them are emotional, but they are the evidence of the suffering we somehow survived. And we all have these as a piece of our story. And here's what I find truly fascinating about Jesus, that Jesus wanted to be known by his scars. Which is interesting, but if you even peel back a layer before that, why would he even have them? I mean, think about this. Just, maybe this is just the way my brain works, but like, if God can do anything, why would he bring Jesus back to life and heal his body but leave some scars? I mean, if you have the power to conquer death, Surely you can handle a little plastic surgery, you know? I just smooth out these scars, give me a little bit of nose job. Remember that verse that was just like, I wasn't attracted to people. Like, what if you bring me back? And people are like, boom, make over Jesus. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just spitballing. But it's like, I feel like there could be a market for this. And yet God does it a different way. And then later, Jesus ascends to heaven after his resurrection 
with his scars. Which sort of, if you follow this train of thought, implies that there are scars in heaven. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Like that heaven is a place where, interestingly, wounds don't exist, but scars still do. The eternal proof of your healing. You see, what is great about God isn't that he prevents us from experiencing pain, disappointment, or or, or tension, or tragedy in our life, but that when we inevitably do, and you will, that he transforms it into a thing of beauty in time, in its time, in his time. And it's the timetable that's so hard to swallow. And you've seen this before, the sort of beauty that only God can grow from brokenness. A foster kid who was abused and rejected, who grows up to adopt. An addict who gets clean and sober and devotes their life to helping other people recover. A survivor that willingly sacrifices themselves to help other victims heal. It's all beauty for ashes. Or if you wanna use like the terminology from the Jesus story, it's all death and resurrection. It's, it's just astounding to me that, that Christ, you know, he made the cross beautiful. And this is the, the question that I want to pose to you today. I wonder what symbol of tragedy others might end up seeing differently because you trusted God through it and invited him to do something beautiful with it. In time. In its time. In his time. I wonder if you can already see the trajectory of this in your own life. Because here's what I would argue, that everything that you see that is deeply beautiful to you, at some point in its backstory came from a place of brokenness. A piece of my story, I never wanted to be a pastor. This isn't me announcing I'm quitting, that's not what I'm saying, I'm going into the backstory. And here's why I didn't, because I'd been to church before, and it sucked. My dad was a pastor, my grandpa was a pastor. I'd seen it from the inside, I'd been around it. And this is my impression. Church is boring, and the people are mean. And they're especially mean to the people that run the church. I grew up with a sister with um, mental illness. We were kicked out of churches as the pastors because the congregants didn't know how to deal with that. The fact that that was a reality. There were times my dad started a bus ministry, started bringing in kids from the inner city, and we were asked to leave a church because they didn't want those kinds of kids around their kids. There are all sorts of things that I found wounding and hurtful and horrible, and also I just, I never understood what was going on. I never understood what the, the person that was talking was talking about. I didn't understand how it applied to my real life. And there were some deeply hurtful things that happened to me. Even as I grew older, there was a, a youth pastor that I was serving with and was very connected to, and it was revealed that he had had an affair with a student and went to prison. 
And those of us that were volunteers were left to pick up the pieces. And after that experience, I left the church. This may sound weird to you, but like in my early 20s, there was a, a year and a half period where I did not go to church, didn't want to have anything to do with it. Still loved and believed in God, didn't want to have anything to do with church. And I had this moment in which I, I felt God was like speaking to me, not like audibly, but I had this deep impression that came from outside of me and wasn't the way I normally think. I had to only assign it to God. It was sort of this idea of like, you have been through experiences that have broken you because you have lived through a broken season or experience of church. And if you leave and you never come back, how will it be any different for anyone else? How are you going to fix something that's broken from the outside? You fix broken things from the inside. And you know how. Because you've been through it. And I started, like, dreaming about something I'd never really seen in person. Like, what if we could have church where, like, people just dress like they normally do during the week? And, like, you, could, you, like, you didn't feel like you're going to get struck by lightning if you brought food in the auditorium? And, like... You know, the songs that you sang, you're like, oh, I'd actually listen to this outside of here. <laughs> the people were nice to each other. They cared about each other. They weren't trying to catch you in something that they could label sinful so they could shame you to everyone else in a secret prayer meeting. <laughs> like if when, if when the pastor got up and talked, you were like, I, I've been to church my whole life or I've never been to church before my whole life and I understand what you're saying and I I want to move forward. I, I understand God a little bit more and I, I want to move towards him today. And I, I began to sort of dream about what that could be. And, and that is what led me to this place. Like if there's anything that you find beautiful about this campus, it has grown from the brokenness that my wife and I have experienced in our lives. Because it's all beauty for ashes. It's all death and resurrection. And I wonder what your version is. There's this Russian novelist, Dostoevsky, and he, he once wrote a very famous line. He said this, that beauty will save the world. And it was a bold line that when he wrote it, people were like, this guy's crazy. They didn't understand what he meant. But I feel like at this stage in my life, I do understand what it means. And I think if you were to put this quote in front of Jesus, I think that he would agree with it. I think that if you said to Jesus, like, will beauty save the world? I think he would say, like, of course it will. Isn't it already? Isn't everything that's saving the world beauty that has grown from brokenness? Don't you want that to be your legacy too? I do. Let's enter in to this revolution that Jesus began because that's what will save the world. Will you bow your heads with me across this room? I just want to pray for and over you today. God, we are so grateful for your love, your grace, your mercy, your beauty. God, we are grateful that um, we may find ourselves today in the midst of deep chaos, tragedy, brokenness, pain, emptiness, formlessness, it's tough. And yet, just like the beginning of Genesis says, there's this sense that you were hovering over 
the chaos of our story and that any moment you are about to enter in and partner with us to speak words of life and transform the tragedy into beauty. It takes time. And God, I pray that you would help us to have the patience to trust you through the process of that sort of divine transformation, that we wouldn't become so impatient in pursuing beauty that we settle for surface pretty. God, I pray that we would be able to see beyond it and that we would always be those who look at our own situation, the world around us, the stories around us, the people around us, the communities around us, and we would look for opportunities to see the beauty in the midst of the brokenness and add to it and grow from it. God, may we redefine certain situations and symbols that other people have always seen as torturous and and because of us and the way we lean into you and your grace, they begin to see these things as beautiful. We ask this in your name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.